right, everybody, welcome back to the Locked On Red Wings podcast. Today is Friday, May 8th, 2020. I am your host, Detroit sports writer Noel Bianchi, here today, as always, with longtime Red Wings fan Ethan Smith. Hi, Nolan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always a pleasure, pal. Always a pleasure. Today's episode, Ethan, is brought to you by Bill Bar. Uh, Ethan, if you, if you were at, sitting at home right now, you're, you're a little bit hungry, you ran out of the Bill Bars that I gave you last week, all you would have to do to get a new box shipped to your doors, go to BiltBar.com, enter the promo code Locked On. You'll get $10 off and have a, a new box at your house and before you can even blink. So be sure to do that. We've got a good episode for you guys today. Doing a little bit of a – it's a Red Rings rewind, but not in the sense that we traditionally do it. We're going to uh, just kind of run through three good games in Red Wings history that people may have forgotten about. Uh, here at the Lockdown Network, we've been trying to you know, go over some of the greatest games. And next week, we will jump into uh, a few of them in our interview with Darren McCarty that will run over Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Like I mentioned on yesterday's episode, it was a 75-minute interview. It was chock full of great tidbits even better stories. Uh, some all trash talking. Ones, yeah, some trash talking. That's good. Uh, that dude hates Chris Draper. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He loves Chris Draper, but he likes picking on Chris Draper, and that was that was a lot of fun. So uh, we will kind of jump into some of the, the more well-known games, uh, particularly the 97 Cup Final Game 4, March 26, 1997. Big games uh, in that Red Wings championship season, so very excited about that. But until then, in the meantime – uh, we're going to go over three games today. That is 2016, round one, game three against the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Red Wings' last playoff win at Joe Louis Arena and the last win in their 25-year playoff streak. I was actually at that game. game. He was at that game. Uh, so that's some, some good insight, but I know you don't actually remember anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at least of being there. Uh, we're going to go over the 2009 Game 7 Western Conference semifinal against the Anaheim Ducks. Dan Cleary's Game 7 winner with three minutes to go. And then we're going to wrap this one up with uh, one of my personal favorites, and that's the 2002 Western Conference Final Game 6 against the Colorado Avalanche, the infamous Statue of Liberty played by Patrick Waugh that ended up costing the Avs the game and possibly the series. So I am very excited about that, and we will start with that 2016 game uh, against the Lightning. Ethan, you were there where you got to see Andreas Athanasiu score his first playoff goal and a Red Wings uniform. Unfortunately, it would also be his last. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, he looked – he had a couple great plays in that game too. Like the, mm-hmm. that fake going backhand, cuts it back forehand. Jason Garrison is on his butt sliding away from the net, and he just sends it wide past Bishop, which is easier to do than you'd think this guy's six foot seven. So, I mean, big goalies, big goalies nowadays. Yeah. I'm, tell, Nolan, I'm telling you, if I was 6'3", I'd be in the NHL right now. I know. You tell me that all the time. Uh, but that was Andreas Athanasiu's rookie season, too. And I think that, like, what a high that guy was on, like, after that goal. Because, you know, he was one of those guys that, like, you would see – uh, he would come up and he was young. He, he couldn't necessarily uh, establish himself as a premier forward in the game. He never necessarily did during his time in Detroit, but it was a season that you saw flashes. In the regular season, he put up uh, 14 points, nine goals, five assists, and 37 games played. Uh, but that, to me, is the one that I think is one of the more memorable goals in Andreas Athanasiu's Red Wings career. Yeah, he really was a very streaky player with us. And, you know, that does come with being like a young player, but all the way up until this year, I mean, he's 25 now. 
Yeah, it's not necessarily, you know, he's that young kid that's still trying to find his way. Mm-hmm. Definitely could have been, you know, p- people he was on lines with and stuff like that. And you saw more flashes of that when he got onto Edmonton this year. Um, it's hopefully he can keep developing there and Ken Holland keeps, you know, plucking some old Red Wings. Hopefully, let's, I, odds, <laughs> odds, Jonathan Erickson finds a job. In Edmonton. Oh, I seriously doubt that. I, I think no, he's going to retire. He can he's never retire. retire. Yeah, he's going to retire. Ken Holland also can never explain his way out of that one. Like, considering the. He would just be fired immediately, in my opinion. At least I would fire him. Nah, dude. Peter Shirelli had three years there and they didn't do anything to him <laughs> up, up until he signed, like, a goalie that's played 20 games for them to, like, two years for $4 million a year. And they're like, all right, okay, okay, that's it. I'm sorry. This isn't going to work anymore. <laughs> Well, and I also remember that like there was so much emotion in this series because it was the second consecutive year that they were playing uh, Steve Eiserman or Steve Eiserman's Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, they had lost this, the year prior in a game seven that was a really tightly contested series. I just remember hating Tyler Johnson like passionately uh, during. He made that us time. look bad. He, he just made, made us yeah. look bad. Yeah. he wasn't a bad. He wasn't a chippy player or anything. He was just a stud. He was really fast. But another thing we should get to, too, is the fact that the Red Wings, it was nothing win, uh, and Mrazek got the shutout, 16 saves. Uh... That was his first start of the series, too. Was it really? Yes, it was. Jimmy Howard played the first two games of that series. Then we went back to Detroit, and uh, they gave the start to uh, Peter. 16 saves against Tampa Bay really shows how dominant Detroit was in that game, too. I know. And that's the thing that, like, surprised. That's a stat line you would see, like, in 2008, 2009, 2010, but not, not with the 2016 rendition of the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, and then there was also, at the end of that game, so there was, like I mentioned before, there was a lot of – it was a building hatred, a mini rivalry. You saw the same thing kind of happen when the, the Wings beat uh, Phoenix two years in a row. Uh, in the first round back in like 2010 and 2011. Uh, and also those same two years where they lost to the Sharks in the second round in 2010 and 2011. You kind of like, it's an unnatural rivalry, but one, when you see the same team in the same round of the playoffs, uh, two years in a row, it's just naturally going to build. And then at the end of this game three, uh, which the Red Wings, like I mentioned, took two to nothing. Uh, we have a great, we have a scuffle to close out the game, which leads to a fight between Justin Abdicator, Brian Boyle, and, uh, and a chicken dance from Brian Boyle after Abdicator refuses to drop the gloves and go full fisticuffs with them. I love that. I love playing those mind games too, especially – like I like when players do it. I've never mm-hmm. personally been in a fight on the ice. But uh, it's the whole like this – Brian Boyle's trying to get his team going, trying to get a little edge going into game four. and. Abby's just holding on to him and he's just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight you. And like, you could see him looking at the rep too. It's like, you could break this up anytime. And the rep's like, Oh, <laughs> aren't you guys going to do something? And then Ablocator holds up a glove. He's like, I have my gloves on. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. And then that's when the chicken dance started. It's just awesome. I love sports. I, I love sports. So I do much. too, man. And that's, what's funny is like, it, that's like the one thing I missed. I don't want to say the one thing I miss the most, but that's something that I miss so much is just like hating something or somebody for Mm -hmm. no reason other than like the color shirt they wear. But uh, yeah, it was, it was fun to dream for a while. We got a glimpse of the future in Andreas Athanasi. We thought the ball was just going to keep rolling after that. And then 
Uh, unfortunately, that's the last year the Detroit Red Wings make the playoffs. Before we go to our next moment, I have to talk to you guys about Bill Barr. Now, look, here's the deal. I'm what you would call an aggressive snacker. Once 1030 rolls around, I start uh, digging through the freezer, looking for the pizza rolls, looking for the chicken nuggets that I can pop into the microwave. And I tell you what, while we're in quarantine, that is especially true. Uh, and unfortunately, I was, uh, I was starting to pack on some pounds. But until we got sponsored by Bilt Bar, because like I said, they shipped a box to my house uh, last week. I have some more in the mail. They are that good. Uh, but really, it, what I like to do is eat it for breakfast, and it kind of sets the tone for the entire day. You get anywhere between 15 to 20 grams of protein at the expense of usually less than 150 calories. I don't know how to stress this to you guys enough. There is no other protein bar on the market that can give you that type of nutrition value with seven times less carbs, seven times fewer sugar with, uh, compared to the leading protein bar on the market. And that is a cliff bar. I used to eat those, but no longer. They're more expensive and they don't taste as good. And quite frankly, they're not as good for you. So, uh, right now you can use the promo code locked on for $10 off your first order. When you go to builtbar.com. that is promo code locked on. Stay locked on to the Built Bar just like you are onto this podcast. Use the promo code locked on at builtbar.com. So, our next great moment in Red Wings history is Game 7, 2009, Western Conference semifinal. It's a 4 3 win for the Detroit Red Wings to advance to the Western Conference final where they would meet the Chicago Blackhawks and the, later on advance to a game seven in the Stanley cup final against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, unfortunately they lost that one, but this is a good moment in Red Wings history. And uh, Ethan, you got the details on it. Yeah. Um, this was, this was a really fun game to go back and watch. I've known, I forgot how dominant Anaheim's first line was like, they got, they had Ryan, uh, Bobby Ryan, Ryan Getzlav, Corey Perry, throw T Mussolini in there every once in a while. And then their first D pairing was Pronger and Niedermeyer with Hiller in net. Unbelievable first so. line. Ethan, Ethan is a Jonas Hiller slappy to the nth degree. Oh, man. This guy, he, he had the, that matte black helmet that nobody else had in the league with the gold cage. Beautiful. Beautiful in itself. And he's the only goalie that still was rocking cohos. Who was bought? I mean, they're bought by Reebok, but he was still using that design scheme and the lettering it looked beautiful always had all like the orange the gold the white the black dude was a a1 style in that so you, much fun you just brought up uh that first line of Getzloff, perry and bobby ryan Corey perry in that series in seven games 10 points ryan Getzloff in that series in seven games 10 points they're filthy they were. And you know what? I, I mean, I didn't really hate Bobby Ryan. I hated him because he was on the Ducks. Uh, but, like, in terms of Getzloff, Perry, Pronger, and Niedermeyer, I hated all of those guys. And Chris Pronger, you know, obviously understandable. Half the league or more than half the league hates Chris Pronger. I think the same could be, probably be said for Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff. But when you're playing these guys in the playoff series, which the Red Wings did on, uh, on a handful of occasions, I think they did the following – or not the following year. They did it in 2013 – uh, in round one, the two seed versus seven seed game seven. Uh, I, I always remember that because of, uh, Ken, 
Daniel's uh, call in game six when Zetterberg scored that goal in overtime. Game winner, game seven. Here we come. Uh, one of the best from Ken Daniels. Ooh. Nobody's better than Ken Daniels. Uh, but, yeah, it, it really is fascinating just to go back and look at how dominating they were. And then 38-year-old Timu Solani, who had four points in that series as well. Just they were they really were like the Boston of the Western Conference at that time, so just bully mentality. And what's interesting about this too is uh, one of the more important pieces of the Ducks team during the regular season was actually traded away at the deadline to the Pittsburgh Penguins and Chris Kunitz. It ended up not turning out so well for the Red Wings as Chris Kunitz was part of that uh, Penguins team that I just mentioned beat the Red Wings in seven games in the Cup final too. Ryan Whitney, Ryan Whitney went the other way on that one, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He, uh, Ryan Whitney in that series, two points, one goal, one assist. Not bad. Yeah. So it was a really back and forth first period. I mean, no team really gained an edge or anything. Um, it was just all the way through. It was a really close game. The Red Wings went up two nothing. Then they kind of got into penalty trouble. And then you go back to how much we hated Chris Pronger. There was a rush coming in, and he was a little bit late getting back. Hoodler's in front of him at the hash marks, and he just cross-checks him right into Hiller. Refs don't see it. Call uh, Hoodler for a goal interference penalty. And then Anaheim makes it 3-2 to two on that. That's one, of those, uh, that's one of those plays that just doesn't happen anymore. I no, like. it doesn't. Like, no, nah, it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, and like not only was it like it, it was also kind of understood that that's kind of just what happened in front of the net. Not only like was it like did could guys get away with it, but it was just like, well, you shouldn't have been in front of the net. Yeah, I mean, it was. It's really kind of interesting to see how even di- how the game is evolving into even more speed and skill than it was Finesse. eight years ago, mm-hmm. seven years ago. Mm-hmm. This is a perfect example of that because, like, if you just look, I mean, Bobby Ryan was, uh, Bobby Ryan had hands. I mean, Getzloff, Perry, great, great players, but also just kind of like more, or at least Getzloff, like a power forward type of guy. And like the Ducks, that's what made them so infuriating is like top to bottom, that was them. They were just a power team. Team that you hate having to go through a seven game series with. Absolutely. So, anyway, later on, the after the uh, Ducks tied it up, with about 12 minutes to go, um, really back and forth chippy that game seven style defense where nobody's get, giving an inch, nobody's getting an inch. About three minutes left of the game, pucks in the corner, Zetterberg just chips it out, sauces it out front of the net, and uh, it takes a little weird bounce and somehow just gets through Hiller's arm. Cleary sees it. He knows it's behind his pad and that it's loose. Ref sees that it's loose. And he just literally just pushes Hiller's entire pad, which is another goal you very rarely see, is just like the goalie being pushed into the net. And I think they have a – it's a kind of a different case now with goaltender interference that obviously would have been challenged. Um, but, you know, whole leg goes into the net, pucks in the net, good goal, three minutes to go, and then it was just a – just a defensive shutdown. Uh, one of the this is one of my favorite Red Wing moments uh, for a couple reasons. One, Dan Cleary, you got you just gotta love Dan Cleary. One of the more under 
appreciated guys during his tenure in Detroit, but I was looking back at, I can't remember the exact number, so don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure the stats were 47 points in 111 playoff games over eight seasons with Detroit. And I know this is fact, or I know this is uh, true for a fact. He finished that playoffs, the highest in plus minus at plus 17, but it was also, it was also a great selly after he, uh, he pushed the pad and he gets knocked down the goal horns blaring and he's got his arms up and he just like falls back onto the ice just like looking up at the ceiling it's great it's like vintage i love it too hockey like at its finest joe lewis arena is going absolutely berserk and uh yeah what a series i love love me some dan cleary the man they call bear and then coming up next we have our last moment is the 2002 western conference final game six so in this one the red wings going to denver down 3-2. They had faced the Avs in the uh, playoffs four times to this point, had only won three, or sorry, had lost three of the times, and once they had been put on the brink of elimination in those prior series, they had not won. Uh, they had not won a game. So uh, to me, this this game is is very interesting because we talk about it on uh, in the episode with Darren McCarty, but this team was like supposed to win. Like more so, I think, than any other team in NHL history that I can remember during the time that I've been alive. Like this team, this team should win the, the, the Stanley Cup this year. Yep. They get pushed to the brink of elimination against their most hated rival, going to a place that's very difficult to play, uh, coming off of a game five in which Brennan Shanahan has a chance to tie the or to win the game for the Red Wings and, and put them up 3 2 heading back to Colorado. Uh, but he rings it off the crossbar, and then ultimately, I believe it's uh, Peter Forsberg who gives the Avalanche uh, the game-winning goal on that one. And the Red Wings are in some trouble when they go back to Denver. Uh, this game is really where Dominic Hasek earned his money as a Red Wings goaltender. And one of the things that I find interesting about this series is uh, the Detroit Red Wings in 2000 and 2001 like severely underperformed. I believe I know for a fact they were. Uh, I think they were swept out of the first round by the AC Kings in 2001. Uh, I can't remember exactly. I think they were eliminated by Colorado in 2000. Uh, So this is a team that had come off two cups. And now you're starting to wonder, is this team on its downward trajectory? Now they, they had the big come up, they won the cups and now they're, you know, starting to head downhill. Then obviously they're loaded with all these hall of famers. They get three more Hall of Famers in Luke Robitaille, Brett Hall, and Dominic Hasek. But even then, they're pretty old. And uh, I found a quote from the Detroit Free Press in 2000 after the uh, Red Wings had been eliminated by Colorado. He said, I guess you can say we have lost that certain something, whatever it is. I mean, this is the second straight time that we're out in the second round. And even though we played better than we did last year, the fact that we couldn't execute when we needed to means something went wrong. So... In those two series, Patrick Waugh, 943 save percentage with a 1.91 goals against average against Detroit. And at age 36, he's having the best season of his Hall of Fame career. He ended the 2001-2002 regular season with career highs in uh, save percentage and goals against average. 925 for save percentage and 1.94 GAA. Uh, He finished second in Vesna voting that year. And I mean, just like top to bottom, the, the odds were against this team. Uh, but they're able to come out and uh, Dominic Kosick, the Detroit defense, 
uh, is able to kind of keep them at bay. I think they went over 15 minutes without allowing a shot in that first period. Uh, Peter Forsberg blew a beautiful chance that went just wide. So obviously that doesn't count towards that. Uh, but, you know, as the first period comes to a close in this nothing, nothing game, Steve Eiserman is presented with this amazing chance in front of the net, carries the puck out to, uh, to try and beat what would be a sprawling Patrick Waugh, who, uh, who was able to come up on his tummy with the glove save. And uh, I love those windmill saves. Those just those robberies with the glove, right? When you think the goalie's down and out and there's nothing else. And he just gets that glove up at the last second, just out of pure instinct. Yes. And then, Oh dude, it's either the crowd roars in appreciation or they're dead silent. Yeah. It's my, that's my favorite. That was my favorite part of being a goalie is making those huge saves in a moment. And it's just either silence or everybody's going nuts. And seconds before that too, uh, Eisenman got a pass from Fedorov and uh, while spun to his back and made a save by slamming his arm down on the ice. So that was just seconds before this incredible save undoubtedly would have been maybe one of the most iconic saves in, in NHL playoff history had it not been uh, followed up by what we're about to talk about. And that is the Statue of Liberty play. Waugh gets a little overzealous after making the save, goes to show the referee the puck, and uh, in doing so, he drops it, leaving the door wide open for Brendan Shanahan, who'd miss that opportunity in Game 5 to, uh, to slam that one shut. And then from then on, it was all Red Wings. Patrick, or the, the Avalanche, you have to wonder, like, what kind of mental effect that had on them because they didn't score another goal in the rest of the series. And then in game six, uh, later in that same game, they, uh, uh, Mark Crawford challenges that Dominic Hasek has an illegal curve on his stick. You know, I've never seen that live. I've never seen somebody get either. something challenged. And, like, I, it's got to just be talked about, like, I think his stick is illegal. And then just – it also could be a way to break up, you know, some momentum or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe try and get in his head. Yeah. But it, it, you know, this this game is actually it's really not talked about that much that Dominic Hasek was that dominant. Yeah, and like, and I guess there's a good reason for it because the the one that everybody talks about is the game seven. The Red Wings obviously score four in the first period and end up winning seven nothing, chasing Patrick Waugh after six. Uh, and that when, you know, people think about that series, that's what they look back on. But if it's not for this, this gaff by Patrick Waugh, I don't know if the Red Wings end up doing what they did to him in game seven. I I'm almost certain that they don't, you know, it too, something else is it's not so much like how did this affect Colorado, but just getting that break on a goalie mm-hmm. that's been that dominant all year yeah. and in that series. Yep. Just be like, hey, if this can happen, anything can happen. Can gave the Red Wings new life, and I mean, to shut out Colorado in Colorado, and then to do what they did to them in Game Seven is something you really never see in sports. No, and that's why uh, for a lot of people, especially people our age, that is like the greatest memory they have of of watching the Red Wings because, and, and the thing too is like this is the final playoff series between these two teams until 2008 when the the rivalry had completely dissipated for the most part, if not completely. Yeah, uh, and like it was just such a nail in the coffin because the Red Wings go on to win their third Stanley Cup in six years. And when you look back on the, on the history books, you'll notice 
that the Avalanche only have two in that span. They won in 2001, I believe. Uh, and then, of course, in 96, that, that magical Red Wings regular season that was, uh, that was ended by the Colorado Avalanche. It's just, to me, that, that those two games kind of really just ended that whole thing in a way that Red Wings fans can look back and say, we beat you. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just – and that being the end of the rivalry, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is – I mean, it's just icing on the cake, is it not? It is. It is. We got, we got to do these – we got to look back at some of the more uh, lesser talked about greatest games in Red Wings history more often because, quite frankly, there's a whole lot of history there's, – there's so much history packed into these years that the Red Wings won the Cup and stuff like that that sometimes it's hard to get to them. And then the years that they didn't win the Cup, they, it can easily be left you know, kind of by the wayside because that's the expectation is to win a Cup or it doesn't matter. So uh, right. we'll definitely be going over more of these in the future. We hope you guys enjoyed today's uh, – trilogy red rings rewind edition uh we will be back monday like i said before with part one of our 75 minute interview with darren mccarty you guys are gonna love it uh we talk about march 26 1997 uh we talk about the summer uh after draper had his jaw broken just lots of great stuff you'll find out what darren mccarty's been up to as of late uh, his his recent uh, career musings and uh, WJR radio on the Grind Time podcast, et cetera, et cetera. So be sure to subscribe to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Tell a friend. And Monday morning, when you wake up, it'll be sitting for you in your inbox. You'll be able to listen to it right away. Same thing with Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, cannot go wrong with subscribing. We'll have we'll have new episodes for you daily, and uh, that's what we do here at the Lockdown Network. Your team every day. It's just the way it is. Don't stop in quarantine. Don't stop in lockdown. Don't stop if the season never resumes again. Don't stop believing. Wow, that was good. Boom. I wish Wrap we it up. Play it on the outro, but we don't. Uh, <laughs> see you guys. We'll, we'll talk to you later. <laughs>